of respect for the Word of God. And as you stand this morning, if you're visiting today, again, we want to thank you for coming and we want to welcome you. And uh, there, you should have received a bulletin on your way in that had a copy of the uh, message, the outline that we'll be following today. And I've entitled our message today out of Luke chapter number 16, Do You Have a Reservation? And I, I love that song that the ladies just sung. And uh, I don't know if, if you've grown up in church or you've been in church most of your life. But the Bible, there's a word in the Bible that is the word amen. And what the word amen means is I agree. And it's okay. I know sometimes I wasn't raised in a church where... Uh, you, didn't, you didn't talk, you didn't breathe, you didn't do anything when you were in church. But you know, it's okay in the house of God when you hear something to say amen. It's okay to say that. Because what you're saying when you hear something is, I agree with that. I, I like that. I was in a church one time and there was a guy <clears throat> that was in the church and instead of saying amen like everybody else, I kept hearing this guy say something, and I was trying to figure out what he was saying. I couldn't, couldn't wrap my mind around what it was he was saying. It kind of sounded like he was saying, goat head. And I was like, what, what, what is he saying? Why would you say goat head in church? Every time the preacher preached, I mean, he'd say something, the guy'd say, Go ahead. Go ahead. And he did that all service. Finally, I couldn't take it any longer. And there was somebody that was a member of the church next to me. And I leaned over and I said, what is that guy saying? And he says, oh, he's saying, go ahead. And I'm like, go ahead's much better than goat head. <laughs> One time I was in the church and there was a guy, he wasn't saying, go ahead. Every time he heard something that he liked, instead of saying, amen, He'd say, two times, two times. He just kept saying that. And I like that too. You know, sometimes you just need to help the preacher. You know, it's nothing wrong with saying, I agree, amen, shake that bush, whatever you want to say, you know. <laughs> Some of you have been in church. You've heard these kind of things, you know. It's okay to be in the house of God and enjoy yourself. Because this morning, you're going to hear a lot of scripture. It's probably not one of the most popular topics. I honestly wrestled with, Lord, this is open house Sunday. This is what you want me to preach. But I'm just doing what God wants me to do this morning. But I hope this morning, as Paul said in Galatians 4.16, he said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Can I tell you this morning, I'm not your enemy. I love you. I can say that. So you don't even know me. No, but I know him, and he loves you, and because he loves you, I love you. And I have one responsibility this morning, and that is to tell you the truth. Amen. So I want you to look this morning at a passage that Jesus shared in Luke 16, beginning in verse number 19. The Bible says, there was a certain rich man was, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, 
which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Do you have a reservation? I hope you do. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you bless the word of God this morning. Use it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Years ago, there was a well-known preacher, and uh, preachers are kind of funny. Oftentimes, they call us creatures instead of preachers. This preacher, like many of us, he loved to preach. Now, the only reason I love to preach is because God's called me to preach. Otherwise, I'd be sitting out there with you because I'd just soon be invisible than be up here this morning, especially preaching a message like this. But this famous preacher was getting ready. He had, he had uh, set his wedding date, and he was going to get married to his love of his life, his bride. And so the wedding day came, and, and right before the wedding date, he got a phone call from a preacher friend who said, Hey, listen, I, I, uh, I'm going to have a meeting, and I need a preacher, and God put you on my heart. I want you to come and preach for me. And he says, Man, I'd love to do that. He says, when, when do you need me? And he says, well, and he gave him the dates. And he looked on his calendar. Now, this was years ago. He looked on his calendar and he says, uh, okay, I can come. He said, but what I didn't tell the preacher and what I didn't tell my wife-to-be was that he wanted me to preach for him the day after I got married. In other words, on my honeymoon. So he made the arrangements, and 
He told his wife, and of course she knew she was a wonderful lady. She knew that he loved to preach. She was very kind, and so she agreed to it. And so they got done with their wedding, and they started to make their way that night. They drove four hours to the area where the, the uh, church was at that he was going to preach in on Sunday morning. And, and uh, you know, he was maybe a little naive, but he didn't really think ahead of time. And, and uh, he didn't think about, hey, listen, uh, we need a, a place to spend the night. So he was driving along, he saw a really nice hotel, and he pulled in there, and as he pulled into the hotel, he says, I'll be right back, I'm going to go get a room, and then we'll go in and get our room, we'll get ready for the evening. And so he went inside and walked in, and, and he gave the, name, uh, gave the name to the lady, his first name, and she, she gave a name back, and the first name was his name, but the last name was very similar, but it was a different name. And she, he says, no, no, he says, that's not my name, this is my name, and she said, uh, well, we're expecting this person tonight because it's his wedding night. And he says, well, I just got married. And she says, but your name is not, and she said his name. And he goes, well, no, it's not. He says, my first name is. She says, well, I, I'm sorry, but we've made this reservation. We have to keep it because we're full. We have no more rooms, and we're holding this room. And he says, well, I just got married. He says, what am I going to do? I've got to have a room for my wife and myself. It's my wedding night. And she said, well... I don't really know what to tell you. We don't have any more rooms. And he says, is there another hotel around here? And she said, well, there's one about a half mile down the road. And so he went outside, got in the car, and his wife said, did you get our room? And he says, yeah, it's about a half mile down the road. And she said, are you telling me that you came here and you had no reservation? And he just kind of bowed his head and said, um, yeah, never thought about it. You know we're not going to live forever. Some people live like they are. But the reality is, is that every one of us, one day, whether the Lord comes back or we step through death's door, that this life that we're now living will be over. And this morning I want you to see this passage because as we read it, and we study the Word of God, we find here in this passage that this is a true story, this is not a parable. Now, parabolic teachings was a tool that Jesus oftentimes would use. He would use it to teach a principle in the Word of God, but the difference is, is that in a parable, people are not named. Now, you'll find that there's one man, he's identified as the rich man, there's no name given for him. But Lazarus does have a name in this passage. This is a true story. A lot of people think that the Bible is, is just a bunch of book, uh, a book of fiction. It's a book of man. It's a bunch of made-up things. Can I tell you that God's Word is truth? You know, and I, I was thinking about how oftentimes people react to things, especially a passage like this. Years ago, there was a true story of a young lady in she came into the office area of the church where Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to be the pastor, and, and she walked into his office unannounced and didn't knock on the door, opened the door, went into his office, and Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was looking down at his desk, and when she came in the room, she said to him, she says, I'm going to take my life. And he never looked up, never made a reaction. He just said to her with his head still down, he says, you can't do that. She heard him say that, and she says, I don't think you heard me. I'm going to take my life. And he never looked up. 
kept his head down and he said to her, he says, uh, I don't think you can do that. You can't do that. And she was getting madder by the minute. She went around his desk and she yelled at him as loud as she could and she said, I am going to end my life. And he looked up at her and he said to this young lady, he says, you can't do that because you will live somewhere forever. And that's the reality that is facing us this morning is that all of us will live somewhere forever. Now, no doubt our time on earth is limited. The Bible says, you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. This life, when it is over, doesn't end our life. Every one of us will spend somewhere forever, and according to God's Word, the Bible this morning, there's only two places, heaven or hell. That is the choice this morning. When I think about what the Word of God says, the Bible says this, He that hath the Son, capital S, hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. John wrote these words, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, for the Christian, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for the unsaved person, to be absent from the body is to be absent from the Lord. See, for all of eternity. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, but fearful, the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What kind of place is hell? You think about this. Some think that hell is going to be a party. Their friends have gone there and they'll say to you foolishly, listen, my friends are there, so I want to go there so that I can be with my friends and party. Can I tell you that hell is not a place that you want to go to? Jesus describes here in Luke 16 some horrific comments about this place that the Bible calls hell. I want you to notice the first thing that he points out is that hell is a place of design. Why would God, who is a loving God, create a place or have a place of design known as hell when the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John writes over in the New Testament, God is love. So why would God have a place designed called hell? Notice the first reason is because God designed hell for Lucifer. Lucifer was a powerful angel in the Word of God. Along with Michael and Gabriel, 
Lucifer was a, an angel. In Ezekiel 28, Lucifer, the Bible tells us, was in charge of the worship services in heaven. Those in heaven that would sing praises unto God. But the, but the issue with Lucifer was this. Lucifer developed what many people struggle with in the world today. He had an eye problem. Now listen, it wasn't one of these. It was the capital I. I want you to notice what Isaiah said about Lucifer. How art thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. And to all of that and much more, God said to Lucifer, no, you will not rule here because I do. You see, he had an eye problem. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. See, Lucifer was cast out of heaven because of the sin, because of the pride, and the Bible says, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When Lucifer, the devil, when he rebelled against God, the Bible tells us that one-third of the angels went with him. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. See, hell was designed by God for Lucifer. If you go to hell, can I tell you that according to the Bible, you will be an intruder because it wasn't designed for you. God didn't make it for you. God designed it to punish the devil and the angels. Listen to what Peter said. God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. The little book known as the book of Jude. Jude writes these words, The angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Revelation 20.10, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I hope you see this morning that the Bible clearly says that God has designed this place for Lucifer. But can I also tell you that there is a part of this that we need to understand that it was designed also for the lost. The Bible says in Psalm 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God, there are only two kinds of people in the world today. No, certainly there are many different ethnic groups, many different nationalities, but there are really only two categories of people. There are saved people and there are lost people. 
And as we look at the Word of God, I think about, how, again, how the Bible says that those that have the Son have life. But those that have not the Son have not life. Let me ask you this morning, do you see this book in my hand? Do I have the Bible in my hand? Yes or no? Okay, I have the Bible in my hand, right? Do I have the Bible in my hand now? Do I have the Bible in my hand? Do I have the Bible in my hand now? Do I think I have the Bible in my hand? Do I hope that I have the Bible in my hand? No, see, the same terminology that God uses in 1 John 5, we need to understand that those that have the Son, just like I have this Bible, if I have the Son, I have everlasting life. But if I don't have the Son... I don't have everlasting life. I hope you understand this morning what God is saying to us, that we live in a world, listen, I, I, it's just kind of hard for me to understand. I didn't grow up in a world when you play sports events that there cannot be winners and losers. We don't want to hurt someone's feelings. We don't want to offend someone. Can I tell you when life is over, you will either be a winner or a loser, according to the Word of God. See, at the end, you will either win because you have the Son, or you will lose because you have not the Son. It is not determined by if you're a member of this church. It's not determined by the fact that you're a good person. It's not determined by how much money you give. It is determined, listen, when you think about eternity, spending it in heaven or hell it is all determined by what you do with Jesus. In other words, who do you believe he is? You see, that is why God has designed hell. You see, Lucifer said, I will exalt myself. Remember how many times in the Bible the devil tried to get Jesus off track and tried to get Jesus to stumble and fall? Aren't you glad that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he was without sin? You see, hell is a place of design by God. It's for those who would reject the gift of God's own dear son, Jesus. See, I see that hell is a place of design, but secondly, I see that hell is a place of default. Do you know that you don't have to do anything to go to hell? Let me say that again. You don't have to do anything. Just live and die. Did you hear what I said this morning? That's all you have to do. You see, all of us are born in sin. All of us are away from God. If you make no spiritual decision in your lifetime, you will, according to the word of God, you will go to hell. You must do something to go to heaven, but you have to do nothing to go to hell. And so notice that the Bible describes our natural condition because we are born sinners. The Bible says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, in, my, in sin did my mother conceive me. I mean, how can a person be a sinner in the womb? I mean, stop and think about it. Well, I can answer that. The Bible answers it in Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have 
sin. You don't have to teach children how to do things wrong. They figure that out on their own because they all have that same nature, that Adamic nature that, that was inherited to them by nature. We are sinners. The Bible says, among whom also we have had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. One thing that I would much rather do, listen, I would much rather be in this pulpit than to be in that nursery. Because I'm going to tell you something, those little devils in there, you ladies that work in the nursery, listen, you are standing for God when you're in there with those little kids. I mean, they want this toy, and they're going to bite, and they're going to, listen, by nature, we are the children of wrath, the Bible says. See, we have a natural condition, and when you think about this, I want you to take your Bible, hold your place here in Luke 16, and go over to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3, because, you know, when you look in the Bible again, you think about our nature. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at verse number 10 of that same chapter. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And when God looks at the human race, when he looks at mankind, I want you to see how God describes it. Look at verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Now you think about our legislative system and government in this world. Can I tell you, listen, we are not innocent until proven guilty. We are guilty until we are proven innocent by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. We are born sinners, and in that condition, the wages of our, our condition is this place called hell. Why? Because of our natural condition. But notice, I see that not only does the Bible describe our natural condition, but God speaks of a needed conversion. Look what Jesus said to, to Nicodemus, a religious ruler of the day. He says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. He said to Nicodemus, see, we're all sinners. We're all on our way to hell. That's what we deserve. But what we need is we need a conversion. The Bible says in John 1, as many as received him. Have you received him today? Because the Bible says, to them that receive him, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now look at these words, which were born, not of blood, notice, nor 
Not of blood, nor of the will of man, the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, when you look at that verse there in John chapter 1, every person, according to the word of God, everyone needs to be born again. Now, listen, just because your parents were Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. That's like saying just because you're in your garage, you're a car, all right? Just because someone in your family is a child of God doesn't make you a Christian. We are born not of blood, the Bible says, nor of the will of the flesh. There is nothing, there is nothing that you or I can do to go to heaven on our own. We can't get on a plane and fly there. We can't give enough money. We can't live a certain life. We can't do enough good. We can't walk enough old ladies across the street. The Bible says it's not by the will of the flesh. Listen, there is nothing you can do. You can join a church. You can get baptized. You can be discipled, you can sing in the choir, you can even preach, but none of those things will ever get you to heaven. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. The Bible says it's the mercy of God that saves us by the washing of regeneration. See, for by grace are you saved, through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. The book of Romans chapter 3, therefore we conclude that a man or a woman, any person, is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. See, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by things that we can do. And then the Bible goes on and John 1, 13 says that we're also born not by the will of man. In other words, we cannot save ourselves. I can't save you. Now, I can pray that you would trust Christ, that you would be saved. But as you think about this, listen, our church, I love the fact that our church, even yesterday, every week our church goes out into the community. Why do we do that? We take the good news, the gospel. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved. See, we are not born by the will of man, but of God. Jesus said to this religious ruler, Nicodemus, ye must be born again. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Are you in Christ today? See, if you go through life and you've done nothing about your spiritual condition, then you have already decided that you're going to go to hell. As a sinner, we are condemned already. And what do we need? We need a conversion. We need to, listen, that's why God emphasizes this matter of salvation in the Bible. The name Jesus is a a form of Joshua, which means Savior. He's a deliverer. Why did God send his son? to save us from our sins. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews today, he says, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. You think about our God, and I love so many things about our God, but can I tell you that God is a present tense God. Do you know that the blood that was shed on Calvary over 2,000 years ago, that it is efficacious, that God's blood will still save today? The blood of God has not dried up. 
what can wash away my sins? We are still singing that song. Why? Because the blood still flows from Calvary's veins. You think about how Jesus gave his life, and the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the days, uh, evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh. Can I tell you this morning that you can't afford today to do nothing about your eternity. You must make a decision to trust Christ as your Savior. You see, hell is a place of design. Hell's a place of default because of our natural condition, because we have a, the need of a conversion in our life. But notice, I also see that hell is a place of devastation. See, the Bible gives us a glimpse here in Luke 16 of what hell is really like. And notice one thing that he describes in verse 23, and I want you to look at the verse again. Here's what it says. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Some people say that they're living this life on this earth and they'll, they'll tell you, listen, this is hell on earth. And they say that because maybe they lost their job, maybe they found out recently of some medical condition they have like cancer or something like that. And listen, no doubt, those are devastating things to people in life, but can I tell you, that is not hell on earth. You see, the Bible describes here that they were being in torment. There's nothing compares to this, this literal fire, and that's what it is. It's not a made-up thing this morning. Hell is not a state of mind. It's a literal place. Matthew 3, 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly uh, purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Three times in Mark chapter number 9, the Bible records the same words over and over again. In verse 44, in verse 46, in verse number 48, the Bible says, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Revelation 14.10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Revelation 20.15, whosoever was not found, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. See, there is a description. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that would be called a burn victim. I was tempted to put a picture up on the screen this morning, but I'm going to tell you something. Every time I looked at one of those burn victims, I had to look away. I saw what the fire, the heat, the flame did to their bodies. How that it burned off the hair and it burned off the skin and it sent the nerve endings just going crazy and parts of the body were falling off. I don't mean to be gross tonight, but I'm going to tell you something. Hell is a real place. It's a place that burneth with fire and brimstone. And listen, I'm going to tell you, there are people today that are in this place and they are being tormented day and night. The fire should remind us of a place called hell, a place of torment. But notice it's also a terminal place. Look at verse 26. Besides all this, he says, 
between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. See, he's, he's describing here a, a great gulf that is fixed, and here's the key, between the eternities. It's already there. It's a terminal place. Lazarus could not go there with water. He, he could not because of that gulf. It was fixed. Listen, there's not a person today that's already in torment in hell that if they had a chance, they would take that opportunity to get out of there, but they cannot. They are being punished forever, according to the word of God, away from God. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. You know what that means? There's no weekends in hell. There's no five o'clock. There's no break time. There's no getaway. There's no vacation in hell. It is a constant, everlasting, never-ending place of torment. You see, it's a place of torment. It's a terminal place, but notice this. It's a tragic place. Why is it a tragic place? Because it can be avoided. Stop and think about it. No one needs to go to hell. God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Remember, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. And the only people besides the devil and his angels that go there are those that reject the gift of God, which is eternal life, through Jesus Christ, his son. So understand, as you think about this, we are all sinners. Look what it says in 2 Samuel 14, 14. For we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. And let me talk about this verse a little bit. You ever heard the saying, no, no sense of crying over, crying over spilled milk? You ever heard that? So here he talks about our life, you and I, we're like a glass of water, that when it's spilt out of that glass, you can't gather it up again. I mean, you might be able to get some, but you can't gather it up again. And when this life is over, there is no coming back. Let me say that again. There's no coming back. There is no reincarnation. There is no second life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. See, there are people today who will say, Listen, I've been to the other side, and I've come back. Can I tell you this morning that I choose to trust the Bible, the Word of God, more than I do man? Because the Bible says that we cannot come back God says, when you go to war with death, there is no coming back. And listen, there's no discharge from that war. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. See, when this life is over, the opportunity to prepare to meet God is over. God is love, and God is mercy, and God is kind towards us. And the reason I say that, look back in 2 Samuel 14, 14 again. Look what it says at the end of that verse. God has devised a means. Look at the word. God has, he, look, God again is showing his love. 
God is showing his kindness because God says, look, I understand that some people, that they need a little extra. They need to, to understand how much I love them. And so the Bible says God has devised a means so that when we die, that we don't have to be expelled from his presence. Now, what was that means? What is the means that God has given to us? Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, what did he give? He gave his son. So what is the means that God has devised? The means that God has devised to keep us out of a place called hell is Jesus. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, Moses made a serpent of brass and he put it on a pole and he came, it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. We sing that song, look and live, my brother live, look to Jesus. It wasn't about that brazen serpent. It wasn't about that thing that they crafted and put on that pole. The Bible says in the New Testament, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hell is a tragic place, but can I tell you this morning that, again, God is not willing. God doesn't want every, anybody to go to a place called hell. Tim, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, It is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men. Look at that. I want you to see the verse. Don't look at me. Look at the Bible this morning, because a lot of times people say, I just don't understand why God would send people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to reject God, reject the gift of God. They choose to go to a place where the Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You might be thinking this morning, well, I've done some bad things in my life. I just wonder if God could ever love me enough to save me. Can I tell you, you're among good company this morning because we're all sinners. I want you to look at these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 I included in your outline because God gives a list. Here's a sampling. Look at these words. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom, look at it, the kingdom of God. You know what God's saying here? Sin will not enter heaven. It's not going to happen. God's holy. God's not going to allow sin into heaven. And that's what he's saying here. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, there shall in no wise enter into it, talking about heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. So when you think about that, look, I mean, all of us could be included in that list, that sampling of sin that God gives in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. But if you're like me, aren't you glad that God didn't stop with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 10, but he gave us verse number 11, and look at this verse, and I love this verse, such were some of you, but ye are washed. Right there's where you go, amen. amen. Yeah, shake that bush. Two times, right? Are you washed this morning? What are you washed in? The blood of the lamb, right? He said, look at it, look at it. 
ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. He says, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what he's saying in that verse? He's saying drunkards and thieves and fornicators and idolaters and homosexuals, anyone can be saved. Hey, listen this morning. There is no sin that God will not forgive. If people teach anything other than that, they are not teaching the Word of God. What a tragedy today that people are going to hell when God has given a means. God has devised a means. He's given a way for us to be forgiven that we can go to heaven someday. And the question this morning is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And if it's not, it can be. You see, I see that. Hell is a place of devastation. But notice the last thing that I see is hell is a place of division. It's a place of division. Look back in Luke chapter 16. I want you to see these last couple of verses. Verse 29. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will, uh, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, the rich man here in Luke 16, he's having this conversation, according to the Word of God, he's having this conversation with Abraham. And there's no doubt from the passage, from the scriptures this morning, that this man realizes that hell is his eternal address. He's not getting out. See, he's stepped through death's door. This is where he's going to spend all of eternity. There's no hope for him. So what does he do? Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, Then said he, I pray thee. Here he is in hell, and guess what he's doing? He's praying. There's nothing he can do to get out, but he begins to pray. Listen, I, I almost believe from this passage there's probably many people in hell today that are having prayer meetings. They're praying for their loved ones that they would never have to come there like this man is saying because he's lost forever. He's suffering, yes, but he's praying. He's asking Abraham to let Lazarus go to his father's house. Why? Because he has five brothers and he doesn't want his brothers to come to this same place and he wants somebody to tell them, listen, it is possible that there are people in hell that are praying harder for our lost loved ones than we are that are still in this world today. That is quite possible. And I see this place of division. Notice that there's an unheeded warning because the Bible says, and he says to this rich man, they have Moses and the prophets. Now if, you know, if you know that phrase in the Bible, that is descriptive of the entire Old Testament. At this particular time, they didn't have, listen, aren't you glad that we have, I have a nice slimline Bible. This Bible's so nice, I can carry it anywhere, I can put it in my, put it in anything I have. I mean, back in the day, they didn't, they didn't have all of the Word of God. They especially didn't have it like this. I mean, just to have the book of Isaiah, you had to have a big old scroll. Then you had to roll it out. It didn't have chapter numbers and verse numbers. You had to know the Word of God because you just had to navigate through. You had to know where the Word of God was. So when I think about this rich man here, he's, he's realizing, he's, he's praying, he says, look, he says, somehow I've got to get word to them, and, 
And the Bible says, well, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the entire Old Testament. They have the Word of God, but it doesn't seem to be working. They won't listen to it. Think about how many people today that, that won't read the Word of God. Won't, they, they don't believe the Bible is God's Word. People tell me all the time, well, that's man's book. I beg to differ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable, the Bible says. But see, I see this unheeded warning here because they wouldn't listen to Moses. They wouldn't listen to the Old Testament. And, and if somebody would come back from hell and they would preach in this pulpit, they wouldn't listen to them either. They wouldn't believe them either. If one would come from the dead, they wouldn't believe them either. People today, they laugh at the Bible. Do you know that God tells us 239 times in the Bible about a place called hell? Do you know Jesus said more about hell than he did about heaven? And yet the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned, they rebelled against God. Did Adam and Eve die physically that day, yes or no? No. They were expelled from the garden. They were still alive, right? But the difference was they were separated from God because of their sin. The wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible teaches. See, there is a physical death and there is an eternal death. John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Can I tell you this morning, God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. See, listen, we have got to understand that we can have all confidence in the Word of God and we must heed the warnings that God has given to us in His Word. And I find here that there was a place of division because of an unheeded warning. But then notice also there was an ultimate withdrawal. When I think about how man is constantly withdrawing himself from God's offer, from God's gift, how God loved. Listen, it's man's choice to reject God or to accept God. Can I tell you this morning that if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and we give an invitation in just a little bit and give you an opportunity to respond to God's gift, to accept Christ as your Savior. If you've never done that, according to the Scriptures, you will die in your sin. You will be eternally separated God from God for all of eternity. And you might be sitting here this morning and say, well, I've never done that. I don't think I'm a bad person. Can I tell you this morning that no decision is no decision? In other words, to not accept the gift of God is to reject the gift. See, I find an ultimate withdrawal here that God in his love, God is still here. God is still working. God is still drawing us unto himself. Every time you hear, like you're hearing this morning, the words of God, God is giving you a chance. God is giving you an opportunity. God is still at work. Even if a person rejects God, God still loves them. God still wants to work. I mentioned a couple weeks ago in a message, I believe with all my heart that God gave Judas Iscariot every opportunity to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he, he loved his disciples unto the end. You see, God is not willing that any, that includes Judas, that includes the terrorist of today, that includes the young person that went to Christ Church New Zealand, and killed 49 people or more than 49 and injured others. Listen, can I tell you this morning, if the Bible says God so loved the world, that means everyone. 
And that's what the Word of God says. But I see an ultimate withdrawal. But can I tell you this morning that once a person is in hell, they'll wish then that they chose God's gift. They'll wish then that they received Christ as their Savior. I want you to think about this this morning because as we look at the passage before us in Luke 16, this rich man, as I mentioned in the beginning of the message, he didn't have a name. He's just known as the rich man. But you see, Lazarus has a name. This is a true story. Do you know why Lazarus has a name? Because his name is written in heaven. See, his name is there in the Lamb's book of life for all of eternity. Now, you may or may not agree with this next statement I'm going to make, but I'm going to make it anyway. I almost believe that when we are born into this world, that God writes all of our names in the Lamb's book. Now, the reason I say that is because of this. That, again, God is not willing that any would perish. Secondly, when we die, if we reject God's Son, the gift of eternal life, according to the Bible, our names have been blotted out. There would be no reason to blot out a name. Because look, once saved, always saved. When we get saved, we, re we receive what kind of life? Eternal life. God, God's not an Indian giver. God doesn't give us eternal life and take it away, right? So watch this. God would never write your name in disappearing ink. God's not an Indian. God wouldn't take your name back. God wouldn't say, look, I saved you. I'm going to unsave you. No, no, no. God's love is unconditional. So the Bible says... In Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. In other words, the name had to be there in order for it to be blotted out. Now, you may or may not agree with that. That's okay. I still love you. I hope you still love me. But can I tell you this morning that the lost names will be blotted out, not just out of the book, but out of the memory of God forever. Forever. They'll be eternally separated from the presence of God, from the love of God, from the voice of God. Forever lost. Can I tell you this morning, the good news is the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now the sad news is the harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. You know why? Because we're beyond the reach of a loving God. Not because of God, but because of the choice we have made. You see, if you're here this morning, can I beg and plead with you, hell is a real, literal place that the Bible describes and if you have never made a decision about your eternity, can I tell you, look, if you've never made a spiritual decision in your life, your decision has already been made. Hell is your eternity. Hell will be where you will spend it. And the Bible tells us that today you can make a decision. That decision is, I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to trust Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me.
It's the only way we can go to heaven. If you've never done that, don't delay. And here's why, because eternity is coming. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to thank you for being here today. And as we look in the Word of God this morning, I hope that in your heart you believe that the Bible is God's Word. And I hope that you believe every word of it because it is true. And the question is, where will you spend eternity? Heaven? Because heaven is where God is. Or in a place called hell. Eternally separated from God do you have a reservation? I asked that question this morning when I started. You see, if you've put your faith in Christ sometime in your life, then you made a reservation. But if you've never put your faith in Christ, just like that preacher friend who never thought about it, he just thought he could show up at the hotel and they'd have a room for him. How foolish. He got there. He had no reservation. And there was no place. God wants all to be saved. This morning, if you're here, I don't know what brought you to our church. I honestly believe that if you're here, it might have been a friend, a neighbor, co-worker. Could have been, as one of the men told me this morning in the auditorium, that he found one of, our, one of our invitations. I don't know what it is that brought you here. But bottom line is, I believe God's the one that brought you. And the greatest need of your life today is to know Christ as your Savior. I wonder this morning... Have you had a time in your life that you put your faith in Christ? You've made a spiritual decision. And because of that decision, by putting your faith in Jesus, not in yourself, but in the Lord, because he died for your sins, you know today, because of that faith in him, that heaven is going to be your home someday. How many of you could raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I've made that decision. I know for sure I'm going to heaven because I'm trusting in Christ. Many hands across the auditorium. You can put your hands down. With our heads still bowed. Some, maybe I missed it, some look like they could not raise their hand. I'm not trying to cause confusion this morning. I'm just trying to deliver the message that God has for you. And the message is, you don't have to go to hell. God's saying this morning, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be with me. Jesus said that where I am, there ye may be also. It's nothing to be embarrassed about this morning. But you're in, in the right place. You're in a church. This is a hospital for the spiritually sin sick. And guess what? We're all sinners. The only difference is some have been saved by the grace of God. They've been born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus. And if you have never experienced that spiritual birth, 
The Bible says today is the day. Why put off the gift? You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. Jesus died for your sins. It's the gift of God. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, by an upraised hand, would you say, God, I want to accept your gift. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to go to heaven someday. Would you slip your hand up this morning as a testimony of that? I want to be saved. I want to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can put your hand up and put it right back down. Anyone at all this morning. I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven one day, but I want to trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone at all this morning. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As the piano plays this morning, this is called an invitation. It's an opportunity, whether you're saved or lost. Some of you this morning, maybe God was speaking to you about a friend or a family member, someone you know that's not saved. Why don't you come this morning and pray for that, that loved one? That God would use you to reach them before it's eternally too late. Some of you that need to come, just come down. We've got some pastors down here, some ladies that will help ladies and men with men. Many are already coming. God spoke to your heart this morning. Listen, even if you're in the middle of a row, just ask the folks next to you, can I get by? Can I slip by you? Don't let that keep you from coming. But if you need to be saved, why don't you come? I'm going to tell you something. I still remember 35 years ago. Responding to God's drawing me by His Holy Spirit. I came and knelt at an altar just like this. That day, I put my faith in Jesus. That day I was born again. God saved me. I've had that confidence, that security for 35 years. That if today was my last day on this earth, that I'd open my eyes in the presence of God. Can you say that this morning? With all certainty, you know Christ as your Savior. Many of us know someone. Hell's not going to be a party. It's a place of torment. It's a terminal place. There's a gulf fixed. You cannot get out once you're there. It's a tragic place. Lord, thank you for this morning for speaking to hearts. Thank you for the truth of the Word of God as hard as it is to hear. Lord, I even know folks, people in my life that I don't know today. I wish I did, but I don't know if they're in heaven or in hell. And I can honestly say this morning, Lord, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have talked to them. I wish I'd have shared what we heard this morning with them. 
And I know today that if they're not in heaven, they're probably saying the same thing. Why didn't you tell me? And I have no excuse. God help us before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.